continue on here. So if you want to find a seat, and if that seat is closer to me, that's fine. Come on up. Come on up. Any close? No? Okay. No one with the closer. I got my people here, though. It's good. All right. Hey, good morning once again. Um, I am so excited for you all to be with us today. We've really enjoyed this series that we've been in, and I asked you if you're a checklist person or not. Um, show of hands if you are a checklist person. Oh, someone, two hands. Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> who's like, look, lists are overrated. Come on. All right, a few of you, and then some of you are in the middle. Um, whether you're a checklist person or not, we've got checklists for you. If you'd like to read through the New Testament with us this year, We've got opportunities there, but if you're a go-with-the-flow person, you can like listen to people reading the Bible to you. You don't have to even check any lists if you don't want to. You do you, okay? So you check out the website. We've got on our website, millcitychurch.com slash NT2020, and then you'll see all the resources we have. We're going through the New Testament in this whole year, and what we're trying to say is, hey, look, this year, we're going to have a lot of narratives coming our way. Obviously, we already have. We're just getting into it. And so what we're saying is many of those narratives are important, but let's make sure that the narrative of Jesus and what Jesus is inviting us into as followers of Jesus is the narrative in which we look at all the other narratives through. That's what we're talking about this year. And so we've done the book of Matthew, and now we're on the second week of talking about Mark, and then next week we're going to jump right into Luke. And so today we're going to jump right into the, the second major theme of Mark that we want to look at today. So why don't you pray with me before we do that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for the promise of your presence here with us. God, we thank you that you've given us the technology where some folks can connect with us today without needing to go out into the snow. And God, we pray that you would just be present in this school throughout this week as these kids come back. God, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to worship in this public school. We don't take it for granted. And we ask God that you would bless Sheridan in the name of Jesus. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we are your people, we're your kids, and we just ask that you would speak to us. Help us to engage with what you might want to say to each one of us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start out with one of the most important questions that I think we can ask in our lives. And the question is this, how will we respond to suffering? How will we respond to suffering? Somebody just goes, is this sermon about suffering? Because can I get out of here without anyone noticing right now? Yes, it is. Please don't leave. Okay. I know you rose-colored glasses, people. I know you. I know you. But... Stick in here with us because some of you are like, look, I'm not rose-colored glasses right now. Suffering is my life. This is what I'm experiencing on a daily basis. And it is a hard conversation, but I think it's such an important one. Hang in with us because I think it truly is one of the most important questions that we can ask in our lives is how will we respond to suffering? Not if we're going to experience suffering, not how we can avoid suffering, not how we can conquer suffering, not how we're people who can try to get out of suffering, but how we will respond as Jesus followers to suffering. The suffering in our lives, the suffering in the world around us. As Jesus followers, how will we respond to suffering in our lives and in the world? Seriously, one of the most important questions we can ask. Some of you know, if you, if you know me or, or, or have been around me, um, I'll be honest, and you'll probably know that I deal with one specific type of suffering, chronic, for most of my life, and that is chronic pain. I bet some of you out there have different types of chronic pain that you've dealt with. But one of the areas of lifelong suffering for me has been back pain. It's in my family. My mom's had back surgery. My dad had back pain before he died. My brother has back pain. It's like one of those things that's just going to be a part of my life and always has. When I was a kid, I remember the first time I threw my back out, 
You know, like the I'm falling and I can't get up type of throwing your back out. I think I was like 11 or 12. Isn't that crazy being that young and going through that? But I don't have to tell you my story of suffering for you to know very much in a very real way what suffering is like in the world, right? Because for all of us, on maybe nearly a daily basis, we're facing suffering in our own lives or in the world around us, aren't we? I think about my own story and I don't even want to necessarily talk about it because I feel like I want to avoid it. I want to be one of those people that kind of escapes the reality. I want to be somebody that, that just wants to say, hey, look, I'm going to push through. I'm going to stay tough. We don't have to talk about it. No one has to know. You know, take some Advil, right? <laughs> this is what I want to do with the suffering in my life. But the reality is, is that this is not going to work. It doesn't work for me. And then have you noticed how sometimes we get into this weird comparison situation with our suffering? Like sometimes we're like, look, my suffering is not that bad. Other people's suffering is totally worse. But then you can be on the flip side, like I was a couple weeks ago where I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Did you hurt your back playing broomball because you didn't work out all year until the winter getaway? <laughs> Try waking up with it every single day. You know, terrible, right? <laughs> like, it's terrible. <laughs> it's just terrible. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not good. It's not good. That's reality, though, right? And so I'm going to be the first to admit that I'm not good at dealing with suffering. I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm not sure it's ever something that I'm going to be good at it, but I do need to know what can we do to respond. Because from I'm fine, it's fine when it's not, to woe is me and I hope everybody pays attention and I'm in a vague book on Facebook, it's not working for us. It's just not working for us. So then what do we do? What do we do? It's a reality. We can't avoid it. What do we do? How do we respond? I ran into a friend during the, the holidays. It was like the day after Christmas. And I said, how are you? But I didn't. I didn't mean I wanted him to tell me how he was. It was just the way you greet somebody, right? So he actually tells me how he is. He explains this tragedy that he experienced over Christmas Eve uh, with his family. And as he's talking about this tragic situation, I'm thinking, oh man, this is terrible. But then he says something really profound and it stuck with me for these last couple of months. He said, the only thing that consoles me is that Jesus wrote the book on pain. The only thing that consoles me is that Jesus wrote the book on pain. When I think of the Bible, I want to think of the parts that help us get through the pain. <laughs> I want to think about the parts that offer hope and victory and healing, and, and those parts are really good. But if you read this book, like we're going to read the second part of it this year, you'll see that it's a book about pain. It's a book about suffering. There's some uh, books within the book and within the library that the Bible is that seem to almost fo focus exclusively on pain and suffering, Books like Lamentations, uh, Job. But here we are reading the book of Mark. And maybe some of you read the second half of Mark during this week, or you will this upcoming week. And the theme that many scholars would agree the second half of Mark is about is Jesus as the suffering servant. Jesus as the suffering servant. The book of Mark, inspired by God's spirit, is a book about pain. It's a book about suffering. Jesus wrote the book on pain and suffering. And Jesus' story is a story of pain and suffering. You can't ignore it. You can't get away from it. In Mark, Jesus reveals that he's the Messiah. And as he reveals that he's the Messiah, he reveals that the way he's going to live out and carry out his messianic call is not going to be through might. It's not going to be through strength or physical strength. It's not going to be through political power because this is what everybody thought he was going to do. This is what everybody thought the Messiah was going to be about. But rather, 
He's going to live out his messianic call as a suffering servant. A suffering servant. The man of sorrows. Some people have used that term to refer to Jesus. Familiar with suffering rather than success. The man of sorrows, despised and rejected, not accepted and exalted. The man of sorrows who took up our grief and carries our sorrows along with his own in this story rather than taking up awards and accolades like any other leader might want to do. Maybe some of you noticed this theme when you went through the book this week, but I want to talk about why it matters. And as we talk about this concept of lenses, if the lens in which we look at the book of Mark is as Jesus as a suffering servant, what if we take that lens and apply it to our lives and say, as we look at our lives through this lens of Jesus as the suffering servant, how might we be invited through what Mark is saying here to live our lives as people who trust God in the midst and in the face of trials and suffering and pain? How might we trust God in the midst of suffering and pain that will come, that has come, that is coming in our lives? Jesus predicts his suffering and his death three times in the second half of Mark. So whenever you're reading through the Bible this year, if you see things that are in repetition, pay attention. If you see something that's repeated three times, this is even more important for us to pay attention. If it's three times, it's almost certainly a theme. This is very common in the way that this scriptures, these narratives are written. It's a very common theme in the first century. So if we're going to ask this question, how do we respond to suffering? Then let's look at the three places where Jesus is announcing I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go into pain and I'm going to die. He announces it three times. Let's look at how the humans respond. How do the humans try to respond and maybe how does Jesus try to continue to lead them in the midst of that? So we're going to go through them quickly, so stick with me. Um, We're going to start in Mark 8, 9, and then 10. We're going to bounce through these three. So the first one is Mark 8, 31 through 36. And we'll have it up on the screen for you, but I'll read it too. Mark 8, 31 through 36. I'm not going to give a lot of preface, but each time what's happening is the disciples or maybe some others are there and he's announcing what's about to happen. It says here in, uh, starting in verse 31, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus merely just starts to talk about this pain and suffering. And Peter, what's his response? He rebukes Jesus. He's like, can we avoid this situation? This must not be what's going to happen. Jesus, we're not going to let this happen to you. We don't know exactly what he said, but he's clearly trying to avoid the reality and he's rebuking Jesus himself. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have concerns, the, the, mind, the concerns of God's in mind, but you have human concerns. Now, get behind me, Satan is a very intense phrase. I don't encourage anybody to use it with anyone in their life, speaking of nonviolent communication. But have you ever had somebody who you've shared some really hard news with them and they've tried to get you to avoid the suffering, right? You've come out and you've said, listen, something terrible is happening in my life, and you share that with them, and they say, you know what, it's going to be okay. Hey, you know what, everything works out. Everything happens for a reason. God needed another angel. You might not say, get behind me, Satan, with your words, but you might with your eyeballs, because that's what it feels like for someone to ignore and try to avoid and get around the reality of pain and suffering. And here, this is what Peter is trying to do. 
Jesus' invitation here is to say, I am going to go through this and I'm inviting you into that. Right after this, Jesus says, what I'm inviting you all to do is to pick up your cross and carry it as well. I'm inviting you into solidarity with me, the suffering servant who's gonna go first. Pick up your cross and carry it along with me, Peter. Don't try to help me avoid the thing that's about to happen. And so if I was gonna sum this up, I would say uh, Peter's response is to avoid or rebuke the pain and suffering. That's what I would say. And then Jesus invites him to accept it and to join into solidarity with him. Peter's response is to avoid a rebuke and Jesus invites him to accept, into acceptance and solidarity. All right, Mark 9. We'll move on to the next one. I'll start in verse 30 here. Once again, Jesus predicts his death a second time. Uh, we'll start with, actually start with, yeah, 30. They left the place where they were going through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not, they did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it. They did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it. So here's an interesting situation. He's barely uttered the words, I'm going to go through death and pain and suffering, and they are filled with fear. If you were reading through Mark, you could read through it again and notice how often fear comes up. I would suggest fear is one of the most common emotions named in the book of Mark. And throughout Mark and other gospels, you see Jesus have this constant refrain, don't we? He says, don't be afraid. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Have courage and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid for I am with you. I will never leave you. The disciples are afraid of pain and suffering and I totally get it. I'm right there with them. They are afraid of it. But Jesus says he's gonna be with them no matter what. Jesus says we can face it, we can accept it because we aren't alone. But I will say, if you feel like you truly have just no control over the fear and anxiety in your life, look, there is no shame in needing other people to help you with that. There is no shame in the realities that what seemed like a small fear became a really big one and it's really like feeling like it's controlling you. There are people that can help you, counselors. That chronic anxiety is real. And Jesus here is saying, but if you're gonna choose that fear, people who don't feel like they, they are out of control but they're choosing that on a daily basis, this is what he says to them, don't be afraid. So if I were to sum this section up, I would say the disciples' response is fear of pain and suffering, but Jesus invites them to trust that he is with them no matter what. The disciples' understandable response is fear of pain and suffering, but Jesus invites them to trust him, that he is with them no matter what. Okay, third and final, Mark 10. I'll start in verse 32. This is the third time. Once again, threes, whenever you hear threes, this is something to pay attention to. So the third time we hear Jesus predicting his death, this is what it says. I'll start uh, in verse 32. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're gonna go up to Jerusalem, he said. I don't know if he's like slowing his words down so they understand, but he's like, okay, we're gonna go up to Jerusalem. And the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Okay, so he's putting a little bit of hope on the end there, but they're going to mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. 
Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he said. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And so here we go. All right, so Jesus is, for the third time, announcing that this is about to happen to him. And the response that these guys have right away is, I'm going to take this moment to see if we can get a position of power, though. Cool? I mean, are they even listening to what he's saying? And so here, Jesus is trying to say, for the third time, something very important. And James and John ask for positions of power and authority in his kingdom. I mean, I can't believe they choose this minute to ask him this. Can you believe it? But Mark is trying to make a point, the author here. He's trying to make a point. And then all the others get ticked off at James and John for asking that question right now. Okay, right? That makes sense. And so they get into some sort of like little disciples cat fight or something's going down. And then in the text, it says that then Jesus called them together. Listen, if it were me, I don't know I would have called them together. I would have been like, seriously, everyone knock it off. Okay, Bartholomew, Bartholomew, you need to stop. You need to sit down, Thaddeus, right now. That is what I'd be saying. Now, I don't know if that's what Jesus said, but that's what I would have said. Here's what it actually says in Mark 10, verse 42. Jesus called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, Thaddeus, right? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I hope at that moment he just looked at James and John and was like, did you hear what I said? Because it's so crazy that they're just going off the rails here when he's trying to explain pain and suffering. So what do we have happen here again? If I were to sum this up, the disciples' response is to focus on power and greatness because that's more interesting than pain and suffering, isn't it? The disciples' response is to focus on power and greatness and Jesus invites them to lay down power for service. This is what Jesus' invitation is. Do you see how even in just looking at these three passages, Mark, as as an author, is inviting us into a very distinct response to pain and suffering? compared to what maybe our gut reaction might be. I have kind of a summary slide that we can put up here just to show kind of the movements from one to the other. Can you put that next slide up there for me? We respond to suffering, we're invited to respond to suffering in the world by moving from avoidance to acceptance and solidarity. Did you see that in that, in the passage? We're invited to move from fear, which is very real, but to move intentionally into trust, even when we're afraid. We're to move from powering over to serving under and coming up under those who have less power than us. So there's a lot here that we could talk about for a long time. I think it could apply to all of our lives in different ways. So I'll let that stick with you. But I want to give us two questions to take with us today and one very practical way to put this into practice, okay? So two questions and a practical application for us, a tangible action for us to step into. So the first question I want us to consider is, how might you move to acceptance of suffering in your life and in the world? How might you move from, to acceptance of suffering in your life and in the world? Some of you have been through hell and back. I know, I hear your stories. I sit with you in those stories. Some of you are facing huge mountains of suffering in your life right now. I know that you are. 
And maybe some of you have moved to acceptance. And I realize how audacious it is for me to even ask you to move to acceptance, but I believe that's so important because acceptance doesn't mean that you've stopped fighting. Acceptance is something that you can have where you have accepted that suffering is a part of your story while you continue to fight. I really believe that we have access then to a form of peace that's available to us in the midst of the fight if we can accept that this is a reality. You can imagine in my line of work, I often listen to stories of suffering, and I'm glad to do it. It's an important part of what it means to be a pastor. And a few years ago, I was listening to a woman tell some of her story, and she shared that when she got to be 18, some people in her life told her a bunch of things about her family that she did not know until she was 18, and they were tragic, and they were violent, and they were extremely difficult for her to swallow. And as she was telling me her story, I just felt heartbroken for her, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry that you had to to deal with that. And it was now 10 years later, she was 28. And I said, I just can't imagine what it was like for you to have to go back through your story and try to understand your life. I'm so sorry. And then she said something that I'll never forget. She said, it's okay. I learned to talk about it, so I healed. She said, it's okay. I learned to talk about it, and so I healed. One way that we can accept suffering in our life is to learn to talk about it or to learn to talk better about it, to have more tools to do that. Whether we're talking about our own suffering or the suffering of others around us or the suffering we see in the world, it's not easy, it's not a quick fix, but can we learn to talk about it? And can healing come from that? Another idea of how we can accept suffering in our own lives and in the world and and move into acceptance is what Jesus says right here after that very very first uh, invitation. He says, pick up your own cross. Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow him. Accept that Jesus understands. Jesus understands that you're following him into suffering. He got there first. He's not asking you to go in there and say, I'll see you when you get there. He's already there. He went there first. He wrote the book on it. You may have heard in your life the African-American spiritual written in the era of slavery that goes like this. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. But there's another way that that song was often sung. And it goes, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. When we think about the fact that Jesus took all the brokenness in the world, in our lives, upon himself on that cross, man, what he accomplished through that is huge. We could talk about that for days. But one thing I know for sure that he accomplished because of what he did and what he went through is to be able to look at you. Let's imagine he was right here right now. He's sitting right in front of you. He's looking you in the eye. And you are pouring out the pain, the suffering that you've experienced in your life. You can't help it. It's just coming right out. And Jesus catches it and looks at you and says, I know. I know. I'm with you. I know. He can say, I know. Jesus is with you if you want him to be. Even though you don't see him, even though he isn't right here able to look into your eyes, he knows. He knows. Second question I want us to consider today. How might we choose solidarity with Jesus' suffering and the suffering of so many in the world? How might we choose solidarity with Jesus' suffering and the suffering of so many in the world? There's no shortage of people who are suffering for us to find solidarity with, is there? There's no shortage. We can make a long list of people who we 
know personally, to people that we read about on the news, to, to folks that we work with, man, there's no shortage of people we could choose to have solidarity with suffering with in our world. Jesus uses the suffering of, of other people. Now, this, this is a hard one to swallow, I think. But Jesus uses the suffering of others in the world to draw us closer to his heart as the suffering servant. Jesus uses the suffering in our lives, but also the suffering of other people in the world to draw us closer to his heart as the suffering servant. This month is Black History Month, and I know many of you have celebrated that, and I'm so thankful for this time where we get to celebrate inventors and, and writers and leaders and freedom fighters from the black community. And I, I think we can all agree that there's something we're celebrating in history of black community all year long, right? But I will tell you that when it comes to suffering, I'm particularly thankful to theologians from the black church who have led the way in having a robust and deeply needed theology of suffering. I, for one, need that leadership. I need that leadership in my life. I need that more robust theology for me because it's so easy for me in the privilege that I have in most of my life to just ignore the suffering, right? Like I said earlier, take a little bit more Advil and move on. I can ignore it. I can ignore the suffering in the world around me. One of the theologians that I look up to a lot is the late Dr. James Cone. And he wrote uh, a lot on this subject. And he wrote about how identifying with Jesus' suffering was so necessary for him as a black man growing up in the South. This is a quote, we'll put him on the screen. He said, the cross helped me deal with the brutal legacy of the lynching tree. And the lynching tree helped me to understand the tragic meaning of the cross. In my experience, marginalized communities in our world, including black Americans, are the leaders that I need to actually respond to the suffering the way that we see Jesus doing that here in Mark. We need that leadership. Dr. Cohn, he reflected on this history. I want to read, actually, longer than I usually do, but just a paragraph. I don't usually read a whole paragraph from someone's book, but I want him to lead us this morning. Can you let him lead you in his description of what it's like to be people who develop a robust theology of suffering out of necessity? Listen to what he says. That God could make a way out of no way in Jesus' cross was, at, was truly absurd to the intellect, yet profoundly real in the souls of black folk. Enslaved blacks who first heard the gospel message seized on the power of the cross. Christ crucified manifested God's loving and liberating presence in the contradictions of black life. That transcendent presence in the lives of black Christians that empowered them to believe that ultimately, in God's eschatological future, they would not be defeated by the troubles of this world, no matter how great and painful their suffering. Believing this paradox, this absurd claim of faith, was only possible through God's amazing grace and the gift of faith grounded in humility and repentance. There was no place for the proud and the mighty, for people who think that God called them to rule over others. The cross was God's critique of power, white power, with powerless love, snatching victory out of defeat. As you listen to this, you hear how he's describing this history of his people and how their whole lives have been defined by this construct that whiteness meant power and blackness meant powerless. And so that Jesus chose powerlessness was the most empowering thing they could imagine. That powerless love is the tool was something that they could identify with. 
Man, that's leadership for me. Did you hear through that the themes that we're talking about today? How there is this reality of, of moving into a sense of solidarity and acceptance and not powering over but serving under? Did you hear that in what he was saying? This is exactly what I mean by what, it, what I really need when it comes to this type of leadership. And so if you're someone like me and you see how easy it is for you to avoid suffering in your life, man, I challenge you to find people, individuals you know, groups of people that you can try to say, I want to, to go into solidarity with their suffering because I believe that's actually going to draw me closer to the heart of Jesus. It might be someone that lives in your own home or down the street, but it might be a group of people that you're around every single day. People experiencing pain, people experiencing oppression, marginalization, maybe people experiencing overwhelming illness or deep relational pain. There is in bearing witness to suffering. There is strength in bearing witness to suffering. Did you know that many scholars have done work around how if we are able to bear witness to our own pain and the pain and suffering of other people, that's actually a key aspect to being able to heal. Being able to bear witness to your own pain and bear witness to the pain of others and other people groups are able to heal because of that. I know it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It seems like we'll be able to heal if we just ignore it and move on. But man, this is not the message that we see here. This is not the message that Jesus is inviting his friends into. He's saying we need to show up to this. And we see how often people are actually able to move into healing because others have said, I bear witness to that suffering in your life. There's power in that. We shouldn't do it alone. Let's get people involved who have been trained in helping us hold the carry and the heaviness of this reality because it's very heavy. But the reality is, is that the temptation to run away from suffering can actually prevent our healing and the healing of people around us. This might be what makes solidarity with those who suffer so much deeper than thoughts and prayers because it moves from, I want to take solidarity with you and that sometimes moves into action, but no matter what it does, I am bearing witness to what you are going through. Solidarity means that we move into what some people have called the fellowship of suffering. And when we move into the fellowship of suffering of our fellow brothers and sisters, guess what? We move into the fellowship of suffering with Jesus. The fellowship of suffering with Jesus. But none of this is possible with an avoidance of suffering and pain. None of this is possible if we let fear take over, which it's so tempting to let it. It's not gonna happen while we still think that we can power through or power over. It's not gonna happen. But it can happen in community when we choose, starting right here, to engage with each other's suffering and not to run from it, to skip the platitudes and to just stay in it to sit with each other and to say, what does it look like for us to choose to engage in each other's suffering, to engage in the suffering of the world, and to bring it to the feet of Jesus, the suffering servant. Jesus as the suffering servant gives us one final example of what we can do with that suffering. This is my final tangible action that we can take. The last recorded words of Jesus in the original manuscript in the book of Mark He's hanging on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been wrongfully accused. He's hanging on the cross, mocked. And in Mark's version of the crucifixion story, it's so interesting because in Mark's version, there's only one quote of what Jesus says on the cross right before he takes his last breath. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The last recorded words of Jesus are a lament, crying out to God. 
offering a complaint almost to God. Why? And if you're living in that suffering right now, your heart might be crying out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if we do what I'm talking about and we choose solidarity with those around us, then together we cry out, my God, our God, why are you forsaking us? Jesus modeled that you can trust God and still lament, that you can trust God and still ask why. Lament is the language of suffering. Lament is the language of suffering. And it's God's invitation, clearly, not just in the book of Mark, but throughout this book. It's God's invitation through this book about suffering. It's God's invitation as a tangible way for us to respond to suffering in our lives. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And today, in our time of worship and communion, as we go into this time, I want us to focus on this truth that Jesus understands our suffering, that Jesus understands the suffering around us. But I want you to know that we're going to intentionally be integrating lament more throughout this, this next year. So for instance, Good Friday is going to be a lamentation service, preparing you now. This is going to be a very important thing for us to engage in. Uh, one of the things that Ashish has done, has, he has put together, if you go to our website, millcitychurch.com training, he's created about a half an hour experience of lament with songs you can listen to. There's a, a, a playlist and YouTube videos you could watch, whatever your choice to just guide you through that lament. If you know that's where you are right now, this is a tangible thing you can do this week. Millcitychurch.com slash training. I invite you to step into that. And so as Donna comes up, let me pray before we move into our time of worship and communion. Jesus, we come to you as people who want to believe that you understand, but sometimes it's really hard. We come to you and we say, why do you feel so far away sometimes? Why can't you actually tangibly be with me and and remind me that I'm not alone? So Jesus, for those of us who are sitting in the midst of suffering right now, show us that you are near and show us that you understand. Jesus, for those of us who know that we have a tendency towards avoidance, God, draw us into your heart, Jesus, as the suffering servant who made a way where there was no way. Jesus, we know that you can lead us, you can guide us, And that together we can follow after you, carrying our cross, because we know the future hope that you promise us. But in the meantime, give us strength and courage to enter into the pain and suffering when you invite us into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.